And welcome everybody. Good morning. Glad you're here, especially if you are here for the first time, a guest. We're glad to have you. And certainly those who are online, we welcome you and are thankful for you. Very thankful we have that uh, type of technology that y'all can, can join us. We're going to continue our, our series. Uh, some of y'all been here. If you haven't, that's okay. But I've called it One Day or Day One, You Decide, and we're talking about things in our life that sometimes we say, you know, one day I'm going to, but we never get around to making that day one. And uh, we've been going through Mark, the gospel according to Mark, and it's the account of Jesus' life. And Mark continually asks us this question, is Jesus the Messiah? And he just lets us see another day in the life of Jesus and continually through what we we see is like, how can you not see that this is the Messiah, God's son? So I want to start with a story about a police officer pulled over a driver um, one time and asked for, obviously, his license and registration. And uh, the driver was like, what's wrong, officer? I don't believe I ran a, a red light or a stop sign. I don't think I was speeding. And the officer said, no, you weren't speeding. And no, you didn't run a, a stop sign. You didn't run a traffic light. But what I did see is that once you swerved around that lady who was going too slow in the fast lane, you were honking your horn and shaking your fist at her. And then I noticed a, a person in a SUV cut you off and you uh, rolled down the window and flipped them the, the finger. And I, then I noticed as you went on down the road, you got into some traffic and you started pounding on the steering wheel. Well, is that a crime, officer? No, but when I saw your bumper sticker that read, Jesus loves you and so do I, I figured this car has to be stolen. <laughs> so one of the things in life that is universally despised is hypocrisy, isn't it? We really don't like that. Nothing seems to stir up the anger in us or other people more than someone who claims to follow certain standards and even probably calls others out on those standards or regulations, but they themselves don't follow those in their own lives. You probably remember during COVID in 2020, there was a, a lot of instances of governors and, and government officials who were uh, imposing very strict regulations, safety lockdowns on a lot of us. Remember that? You can't go to gatherings. You can't do this. You can't do that. Restaurants, all these places were closed. However, as we watched the news unfold, we saw reports of those same officials were getting together with each other. They weren't wearing masks. They were doing things that they told us that we couldn't do and even asking other store uh, people to open up for them because of something that they needed and left a lot of us yelling at our news feed, hypocrites. You remember that? I do. And it's very easy for us as humans, to point out the hypocrisy in your life. I can easily do that and show you where you're not following the rules, but a lot of times I forget to look in the mirror and realize I do this as well. I remember early in my marriage coming home from work, and this had happened a couple of times, and I, I came home from work, parked the car, and was getting ready to walk into the door, and I was greeted by a big bag of garbage right there at the door as I walked in, which means you need to take the garbage out. And I remember grabbing that garbage after about the third time and angrily counting the steps to the can outside. One, two, three. I think it was like ten steps. So I dropped it in the trash. And I went inside and I said to my wife, Melanie, I go, you can't walk the extra ten steps? And I know all you wives are going, I can't believe you said that, you idiot. And at this time, Melanie was a young mom and we had two little ones and she muttered something about, 
being tired and she would do it later. And then my hypocrisy hit me. If it's only 10 steps for Melanie to take the trash and put it in the can, why can't I take the same 10 steps, right? That was hypocrisy in my own life, so I did that. And I wish I could say that was day one of the end of my hypocrisy in my marriage (laughs) and in my life, but it wasn't, and I continued to battle that one day at a time like probably all of us, right? Today we're going to read about how some religious officials came from Jerusalem and they had come to investigate Jesus and interrogate Jesus. They had heard about the healings, they had heard about the miracles, they had heard about the huge crowds and how Jesus taught differently and people were flocking to him. They were intrigued by this Nazarene carpenter who had turned into an amazing rabbi and how he talked about the kingdom of God being at hand. But most importantly, they had heard that Jesus and his disciples were not following the rules. And that seemed to be the most important thing. That had to be addressed. They needed to be held accountable and people needed to be punished because they weren't following the rules. Forget all the people that were repenting. Forget all the miracles. Forget all the things that were happening for the kingdom of God since Jesus had gone out on his ministry, the traditions of the elders had been broken, and that needed to be addressed. So we're going to read our text today from Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. You can look along on your personal devices, your Bibles, and we'll have it on the screen as well. But listen to what Mark says. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, I'm going to stop right here. There's going to be several instances in this um, passage where you're going to see those um, parentheses. And so Mark is doing that because a lot of the audience reading this are not Jews, so they may not understand some of the Jewish customs. Excuse me. So he's given us a little insight because he's writing primarily to Gentile people that this is, I'm kind of clue you in on what's going on here so you'll understand the custom. So that's what you'll see there. So this parenthesis says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, those people honor me, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their mother or father is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother, or their father or mother is Corban, and then there's those parentheses again, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowds to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. 
Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, I want to, if we could put that graphic up just for a minute. This is interesting. I found this this week. And this is almost all of the words from that passage in the shape of a heart. And it kind of goes to the heart of the matter of what Jesus is talking about. And so you can kind of look at that if, if you will. But it's just interesting that I found that. But as we see in this passage, these religious leaders come from the capital Jerusalem. And they swoop in to interrogate Jesus. And I want us to think for a minute in the last few weeks as we read about Mark up into this chapter. And all the things that Jesus has done. He's calmed a storm. You remember he was asleep in the boat and they wake him up and Jesus gets up and calms the storm, tells the wind and the wave to be still and the, the disciples are like, who is this? Who does this? He has to be the son of God and he drove out multiple demons we read about from a man who had been tormented for years through this. And last week we read about a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and Jesus healed her through her faith as she touched the, the hem of his garment. And then we didn't uh, read anything in chapter 6, but you can go back and look at that, where we know the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus tells the disciples to give them something to eat. And they're going, Jesus, we've got two fish and, a, and five loaves. How are we supposed to do this? And Jesus multiplies that food and feeds all of them. And all of these things are going on to show that Jesus is the Son of God. But forget all those minor life-changing Things like that. Let's focus on the disciples. And they didn't wash their hands before they ate. That's what the, the religious leaders of Jerusalem come to argue about. None of these guys seem to be interested in following Jesus. None of them seem to be interested in commending him on you have to be from God. What you're doing and what you're bringing to this community and this region is giving people hope. They're focused on your dirty hands before you eat. And Jesus knew what these hypocritical spiritual police were up to. To public, publicly embarrass him by pointing out the flaws of his disciples. Your disciples aren't doing this. You're their rabbi. You're their leader. So I guess you aren't teaching them the right things, Jesus. And notice they're doing this in front of a crowd, trying to embarrass Jesus. And Jesus knew what was going on. He knew their flawed system of justice and righteousness. And it may have looked good on the outside with how they dressed and what they said, but Jesus knew there were unhealthy and there were toxic, toxic motives on the inside. So Jesus wastes no time in going right into the real issue. And he calls them out. He calls them hypocrites, which we know is a play actor. You're per playing a part that you're really not. That's what actors do. They play a part that they're really not. They're an actor. And he's saying, that's what you are. And he quotes a passage from Isaiah to prove his point from Israel's history. He says, Isaiah was a, a right about you when he said. And got, but he was talking about a different group of guys. And Jesus going, no, there's always people. Hundreds of years ago, there were people like this. And in his day and time, and in our time, there's people like that. And he says, those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings 
are merely human rules. Jesus made it clear they were worried about and they actually worship not God, but human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now think about that for a minute. We do this in our own lives and in the church sometimes, don't we? Because there's a big difference between biblical truth and religious and traditional convictions about things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Did you grow up in churches with things like that? If you don't read the King James Bible, that's not the right edition. Is that biblical truth? Or is that a tradition or a conviction of someone? I remember a lady one time in our when we first started. Y'all remember the days when we first started the contemporary service? Remember that? And I remember we had... Um, Men and women serving communion to people. And I remember there was a lady in the church that was very upset. And she called me and she goes, in the Bible it says only men, only elders and deacons can serve communion. And I was embarrassed for her. And I said, no ma'am, that's not anywhere in the Bible. It's not? And I was thinking, wow, that's a human tradition that we've brought into the church. But she really believed that. And I said, no ma'am, another Christian would, regardless of their um, gender, can serve the body and blood of Christ as someone else. And it's a beautiful picture that we can all have the opportunity to do that. But we get these in our lives, don't we? And Jesus is dealing with this in this particular um, time in history and in this culture. And so he gives them, not does Jesus doesn't just call them hypocrites, uncalled for. He says, let me give you an example of that. So he says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And he gives them a specific example. He says, Moses says, you're to honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Now, you may not quite understand that. But when we go back, Jesus is specifically mentioning a tactic that these religious leaders allow others and themselves to use con concerning these um, gifts devoted to God. And Mark explains this for the, the, the non-Jews or Gentiles. Now, if we go back to the law of Moses in Numbers, and I think we're going to have that up on the screen, chapter 30, verses 1 and 2, this was part of the law. Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, this is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. That's what Moses said. That's from God, and so you should do that. But in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were allowing this to be a loophole for not only themselves, but for other people to neglect their parents. Basically, let's say you saved up a significant amount of money in your savings, and you had that amount there, and now your parents or in a place in their life where they really need your help financially, and you realize now you've got to give them that money. After all they've done for you, you would think you would want to honor them by helping them. But the religious leader says, oh, all you have to do is say, make a vow that you were gonna, you've dedicated that money to God, and you made that vow and you can't break it, so you have to tell your parents, sorry, we can't help you. And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? You think that's okay? That's hypocritical. You are not honoring your parents after all they've done for you to raise you. And now in their situation, they need your help. And you're going to say, oh, well, we've already promised that to God, so we can't help you. You're not honoring God. It's hypocritical, and Jesus calls them out on that. That was never, that Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2, that was never the intent of God's law to say dishonor your parents with it. But that's exactly 
what they were doing. And then Jesus even reiterates after this saying, and you do many things like this. He says, you want to make this public? I'm calling you out in public in front of all these people you were trying to embarrass me in front of. You're the ones who are being called out now. And then Jesus turns to the crowd. It's interesting. It's kind of like he called them out, but now he turns to the crowd and says, I know y'all really don't want to listen to what I have to say, but maybe the crowd does. And he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by, making, by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. If you were in the crowd that day, do you think you would have understood what Jesus was talking about? I like to say, oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty sure Jesus would have said to me what he said to them. Are you so dull? Did you read? remember when we read that? I just think that's funny every time I read it. Apparently, the disciples didn't grasp it. Well, why? Were they not intellectually smart? No. Y'all, they had grown up in a system where they were, they, they, this was part of what it was. There were these certain rules and they were supposed to follow them and they had gotten so worried about following the rules that they forgot about the intent of the rules and the God that had given it to them. They had grown up in a religious system that was flawed and it was hard to break away from it. It had such a, an appearance of righteousness on the outside, but it was toxic on the inside. And there was so much of this excluding people from the kingdom of God instead of including people in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to do, include everyone. And so after he left the crowd and he entered the house, that's when he asked them. They say, Jesus, we don't understand what you're talking about. He goes, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? It doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And then Mark gives us some more of those parentheses. In saying this, Jesus declares all food clean. Since they were so dull, supposedly, Jesus has given them a biological... So when you eat something, boys and girls, basically it goes from your mouth into your stomach and then through your intestines and your plumbing and all that. We know how that works, right? He says, so it doesn't go into your heart. Blood is pumped through your heart, but your heart really is standing for your connection to God. In those days in that culture, when he said heart, that's how you connect with God and with other people. And that's eventually God's design. And many commentators believe that this parentheses comment by Mark where Jesus declared all foods clean is an important indicator of inclusion of the Gentiles into God's kingdom. Mark was specifically writing to Gentiles and they felt like they weren't included in God's kingdom. But Jesus keeps teaching these things and pushing people to understand, yes, everyone is included in God's kingdom. Now, Peter, who was one of the disciples, and we believe that Mark got most of his information from Peter to write his account, obviously had a, a situation in his life, even, if you don't know this, it's in Acts 10. You can write that down somewhere or go back later and look at Acts 10. But Peter grew up in this system where Gentiles were excluded. They weren't a part of the kingdom of God, and you were supposed to not be defiled by Gentiles who were people who were children of God as well, but that was the system. And so even after he had been with Jesus three years, even after Jesus had died on the cross, even after Jesus had rose from the dead, even after Jesus had ascended into heaven and given the Great Commission, even after Peter preached that amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost, he still thought Gentiles should be excluded. But in Acts 10, he has this vision where this sheet drops down and he hears this voice say, kill and eat. And he's horrified. He goes, I've never done that. Those are unclean things. And the voice says, don't call anything I've made unclean. 
And through that, he recognizes that he's being called to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles. His whole life, the whole system he followed said they're not worthy, but the Holy Spirit is telling him they've always been worthy. And now is the time for you to get over your old system, that old covenant, and take this message to him. And soon after that, he had an encounter with a man named Cornelius. He had to go to a Gentile's house. He had to go into a Gentile's house and give them the gospel message. And through that, he learned, I now understand that God wants them to have the same gospel as I have. And so you know that story was told to Mark as they talk about Jesus. And so he got most of his information. So Peter learned that. And that seems to be the reason for the comment. That ultimately, all those foods you're talking about under the new covenant, that's not a part of it. So Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He gets to the importance of us looking inward at our true selves and the motives of our heart. What comes out of a person... Uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It is from within. And you notice all those things that he read out. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit. He says that all those things come from inside. It's not like a pill you're going to take. Oh, I think I'll take a murder pill. I think I'll take a malicious pill today. And when that goes inside of me, all of a sudden I'll be those things. No, that comes from inside, doesn't it? And we know that. And the disciples may not have been ceremonially clean. Because they did not wash their hands. But they were on the right track because they were allowing their inward hearts to be converted from this legalistic system of religion to a relationship with Jesus Christ and the truth. And the religious leaders would not allow their hearts to be converted. No, they rejected Jesus and held on to these traditions that were of their own making. Which makes me ask us today, what about you and I today? What about us? What's within our heart? Because eventually what's in our hearts will come out. Tim Keller is somebody that I really like to read. He was a, a minister in New York for, for many, many years. But I really like the way he presents the gospel. And he tells a story about conversion of the heart that happened while he was in college. He says, many years ago when I was in college, I was a part of a Christian fellowship. And there was a, a young man who joined up. And it was a shock to all of us who were already there. This young man was famous on the campus for being incredibly sexually active. And he had the looks to go with it. He was handsome and charismatic. And then to our surprise, he came into the fellowship where he declared that, I'm a Christian now and I've renounced my sexual past and my old ways. And he was going to live a pure and chaste life. So he threw himself into the Christian activities. Everyone said, wow. This guy has really made a change in his life. However, it wasn't long before we came to realize that this young man in every group, in any committee, in any Bible study, whether he was the leader or not, he had to be the leader and in charge. He always sought control. There was a power struggle after power struggle, and after a while it became clear that he was sexually active it wasn't really about the sex, it was about power. He would go after some girl, and as soon as she fell for him, he lost all interest. It wasn't about sex, it was about power. When he came to the church, when he came to this Christian fellowship, he suddenly adopted all the Christian beliefs, all the statements of faith, and all the Christian practices. He sincerely stopped living in a sexual promiscuous way, but deep down inside, he still wanted power, power, in relationships. And Keller points, all, points out that we all have this need for deeper conversion in our hearts. He says, deep down inside, every one of our hearts is saying, if I have money, 
if I have approval, if I have power, if I have comfort, if I have control, if I have romance, every one of our hearts need that deeper conversion from the idols to the living God. So there's still Pharisees around today. They're still in the church, aren't they? We may even have some here disengaged from the real work that God is doing in his kingdom and within the church, but making sure they are investigating and on the lookout for rule breakers. Instead of including folks, they're trying to exclude folks. Warren Kinghorn, who's a psychiatrist at Duke University Medical Center and a follower of Jesus, shares that much of the time this attitude and heart condition comes from a deep sense of one's own shame and feelings of not being enough. Modern-day Pharisees look for someone else to judge and shame rather than deal with their own shame and feeling of not being enough. Think about that for a minute. One of our preachers who was here for many years that we loved, Jim Donovan, used to have this saying that he would say, rarely is the issue the issue. And I, a long time it took me a while to understand what he was saying, but when someone's acting in a certain way and it just seems irrational, you think, rarely is the issue the issue. There's something else going on inside of that person that they don't want to really deal with, so they bring it out, and it comes out against other people, and we see this. And this is what um, he's talking about. So uh, Kinghorn goes on to say this in the book called Uncommon Ground. He says, because shame is so aversive, and it is so often more tolerable to feel other emotions like fear, sadness, and especially anger, I have learned to look for shame as a root when people are treating each other badly. When a system, whether that system is a congregation, a clinic, or Congress, seem to be trapped in a self-destructive pattern where people are acting aggressively and even irrationally toward each other, it is helpful to attend to that system's ecology of shame. And when you think about it, those religious leaders felt some sort of a shame about they couldn't keep all the rules. And so instead of admitting that, and submitting their hearts to God, they wanted to cling to that system of, but I keep the rules better than Jesus' disciples. I may not be perfect, but they're worse than I am. So they shame and try to point out the sins of other people. You ever notice people like that in our lives? It certainly can happen, and it can destroy the church, and it can destroy Christian fellowships. But Jesus doesn't want us to have shames. He doesn't want us to have hard hearts. Legalism and religion ignore and hide my shame, and it projects it towards others. But the good news of the gospel that Mark is presenting to us through Jesus is that hearts can be softened. They can let that shame be healed if they will just submit to a real relationship with Jesus. And Jesus' disciples did that. They had been a part of this shaming system, but they are learning to be transformed and into a relationship with Jesus. He takes away our shame. He helps us become who God always created us to become. So maybe there is someone here today that is ready and needs to make this day one of stopping the outward appearance of being religious and start day one of having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to offer that invitation as we do every week. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say, yeah, you know what, I've been in churches for a long time and I've always tried to follow the rules and I always feel like I can't live up to that. That's not what the church is supposed to be about. Guess what? I'm a hypocrite, and guess what? If all of you are really honest, we all are, aren't we? We're never going to live up to those standards, but we have a God that sees us and takes away our shame and leads us into a relationship with him. 
that leads us to be who we always intended us to be. So we're going to offer that invitation. I'm going to ask our team to come up and lead us into a song. And if you have one of those decisions, I'll be right here to try to walk you through that. But for the rest of us, if you don't have a decision today, I hope you will inwardly reflect as we get ready to take communion together. If you didn't get uh, some of communion as you came in, and if there's a table back here and back here, and you can walk back there while we start the song and grab one of those communion, and we're going to take communion together. And we do this every week here at Southwest, not because we're better than any other churches, but we believe in that early church. When they came together, they did this because Jesus asked them and asked us to remember that I nailed your shame to the cross when I died. And it's no longer there. So live in a new life. So we're going to celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection through Holy Communion together. We're going to prepare our hearts for that. But if you do have a decision today, I'll be right here to try to walk you through it. Let's stand and sing and continue to worship.